there are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's great to be back with you for another week with another fantastic guest. We've got Jeff Crippen today talking about his fantastic new book, Timeless Youth. Um, before we, um, I introduce you to Jeff, um, I do hope whatever you're doing right now that um, that life is, uh, is, is going well for you. Um, but if you're looking for inspiration and thoughts on how to elevate your thinking and contribute to a better world through your work, then um, I hope you've come to the right place because that's what I'm all about. Um, last week's show was the 500th episode. And unfortunately, there was some technical issues at Voice America. Five of us uh, sat there. I did a great interview and it didn't go out live. So um, that's going to be repeated or it's going to air on the 31st of March. So it will have been pre-recorded. Um, but the 500th show is there. And, and during the 500th show, uh, we talked about impact and uh, we, we talked about what, what impact meant to us. And we referred to an event that I held last week, which was for uh, show guests. And uh, we had some amazing guests who joined joined uh, a group of us um some of the people you may recognize if you listen to the show people like sharon jess at the rhino lady she got got called uh, and also uh, jeffrey buchanan uh, the um the, the former three-star general and we had um wendy keller and seal stanford who kindly introduced me to uh, a colleague uh, dr jeff today um, and it was an ama amazing and um it was a shame that we can't you know it, it, we couldn't open that up to everybody um, but we do share, you know, some of the insights and the lessons that we learned from what was an incredible gathering. Um, and uh, and I think today, you know, impact is really important. Impact is about who we're being. It's about um, what we're what we're doing, how we're contributing. Uh, and my guest today, um, Dr. Jeff Crippen, he is contributing to the world uh, through um, his work, um, which is really, you know, all about about discovering our uh, body's ability to heal and to um we're going to talk about traditional healthcare, but we're going to talk about how um, our bodies and uh, the way we approach our health health um can have a, a huge impact on us uh, having been through somebody last year and you know who had um we mentioned that i had surgery a couple of times it didn't work out uh, and uh, ended up with on more medication and pills I was particularly interested to, to find out uh, Jeff's take on things. Uh, and uh, I think it has uh, confirmed some of my suspicions. So would you like to unlock your inability to be well? And my guest, Dr. Jeff Crippen, is a chiropractor. He's a nutritionist and he's a coach. And he has quite an incredible backstory. At the age of six, he began suffering from migraines. For the next seven years, his headaches continued to worsen despite the best medical care he and his family could find. And at his very lowest point, Jeff had a debilitating headache that lasted without a day of relief for over two years. Can you imagine that? And when, when well, you, most of you are probably out there playing with your friends, uh, Jeff was there with this debilitating headache that was really holding his life back. 
At the age of 13, he found the powerful combination of chiropractic and individualized nutritional care. Combining these two powerful forces, he was able to unlock his own ability to heal. Um, so this really impacted his future. I mean, out of adversity and pain, sometimes comes purpose. And uh, Jeff has helped his clients today through chiropractic care and nutrition. He has a wellness clinic in St. Joe, uh, Texas. And he also is, is interesting. He works um, with um, uh, the Advanced Coaching and Leadership Center on individualized mindset coaching. So let's talk today about some of the lessons and learnings from timeless uh, youth. And we'll talk about five truths about transforming your wellness um, through holistic healing. So a big welcome today to Jeff Crippen. Awesome. Thank you very much for that wonderful introduction, Chris. And it's a pleasure to be be with here, be with you here today and as well as your audience. That's, I agree. That's obviously brilliant. So tell us, Jeff, where's, where's St. Joe? Or St. Joe. Joe what call it? Yeah, so St. Joe is a small town. So I was, you know, I was thinking of uh, Jeff Buchanan. He was in a town of 800 people mm. um, kind of near uh, in Arizona. So it's a couple of states over. Um, but this is, we are much, much bigger than that. We are a thousand people here in St. Joe, Texas. So we are a small town about an hour and a half north of Dallas or the Dallas Fort Worth area. So you can, we're near, um, within eyesight of the Red River, which separates Texas from Oklahoma. So the real north part of, of Texas, I'm kind of getting into Oklahoma and the closest major city is, is Dallas Fort Worth, just about 90 miles away. Uh, fantastic. I was talking to someone in Dallas only this week. Actually, oh, I yeah. had a funny instance this was week with uh, with Jeff um, Buchanan uh, in yeah. that um, one of we also um, somebody who was on the event last week was David Fox Pitt, who is amazing. David's raised 45 million for charity and he spent half of last year on the pretty much on the front line supporting people in Ukraine with 5,000 pizzas yeah. a day, etc. And I was talking to, to yesterday morning, and, and this is how I guess serendipity happens. I was talking to to David and he said, ah, oh, next week I'm going to be in um, Tucson, Arizona. And I said, well, I think Jeffrey lives not far from there. So anyway, they're meeting for coffee on Wednesday now, <laughs> which is quite funny. You know, it's me sitting in England. And <laughs> That's fantastic. And coordinating a meeting from somebody who's doing work in the Ukraine and in Arizona and grabbing, grabbing coffee together. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite, quite funny, isn't it? How these, <laughs> these serendipity happens. So tell us a little bit about your, what you know, your life. And I shared some, some of your story about this, debilitating history with migraines you know, tell us tell us what was going on for you what must have been horrendous as a young a young child growing up with that when most people are out playing on the bikes and and the likes and with their friends yeah so, yeah, so it started uh yeah thank you for that so it started you know pretty innocuous you know kindergarten first grade you kind of get a little bit of a headache and kind of push through it and stay through school and, and all of a sudden the headache you have one headache and then it becomes a headache every couple of weeks and then I had a headache every week and then I got to be you know a multiple time a week thing and went to a pediatrician a few times and you start with just some over-the-counter medication some children's Tylenol some children's Motrin some children's Advil and just didn't feel like it was helping so you keep going back to the doctor and you know going back to the doctor again eventually they put me on um, ibuprofen and but the headaches are still there and and eventually after, you know, a year into this, you know, progressively worsening headaches in a child that don't respond to medication is a red flag, right? So they did a CT scan and then ultimately an MRI looking for, um, you know, basically a tumor, swelling of the brain, some kind of infection, looking for those real red flag symptoms that would explain why it is this 
otherwise healthy child have a headache that keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And ultimately, they did find something in the um, the MRI, which was called a congenital arachnoid cyst, basically a small growth on the brain about the size of a dime, kind of in the, uh, kind of right where the brain meets the neck, kind of in that part of where it was. And so then they talked about doing surgery. So I'm, you know, I'm second grade, you know, and they're sitting there talking about maybe cutting up my brain and doing brain surgery. And I just remember, I remember distinctly my feeling listening to that. And I thought, I hope it works. You know, I hope I really wanted to do it. I was excited by the idea of brain surgery, which seems crazy to me now, but in that kind of seven, eight year old, not really understanding the risks or what's actually happening. All I was hoping was that I can get the headaches gone because you're, you're a couple years into that frustrating journey at that point and you're just kind of grasping for straws, right? People would come to you and say, Hey, you know, you know, red wine causes headaches, right? I'm like, I'm seven, you know, it's not caused by the red wine. Then people some say, well, red wine will help with your headaches. And I'm still seven, right? Or is it coffee or is it this? And, you know, everyone's got their ideas and you're kind of just grasping for straws. So anyway, that's what led me through there. You know, thankfully that uh, neurologist and neurosurgeon decided not to do them. I had about 12 different MRIs over the next 10 years of my life to make sure that what they saw wasn't growing and it wasn't. But they said that was causing my headaches. What was interesting about that is what, ne- what I didn't understand is sometimes my headache was really bad and sometimes I didn't have a headache. But how could this growth in my head that never changed yeah. cause a headache that was constantly changing, <laughs> right? Better, worse, more intense, less intense, left side of my head, whole head, round the top of my head, right? So, th- it was, it was, so that was kind of the beginning of it. And then, you know, just kept going to different doctors, trying different drugs, muscle relaxers, pain relievers. Uh, tried me on some antidepressant drugs, put me on some, um, you know, headache-specific drugs, and just searching for answers. And all the while, unfortunately, the headaches, or fortunately, the headaches kept getting worse. Uh, so I knew there had to be more to the story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so you went through that sort of traditional uh, route yeah. initially, um, but didn't you, um, didn't you discover uh, an alternative path at some point which set you uh, on a different trajectory yeah so you just as i said you're just trying a lot of things i tried a lot of things within traditional medicine and then i tried some other things outside of it so eventually someone said hey you should really go see a chiropractor so i did that and i would notice my headaches would get better but it didn't fully go away it would go from maybe a pain level of a seven to maybe a pain level of four and it would give me some relief for some while and you know try different diets and try you just like i actually got into reading and studying about health you know at that, you know, you know, in my early teens, just trying to figure out how I could, you know, live a normal life. So basically, eventually, a friend of a friend of my grandparents lived in, you know, South Carolina, I lived in Michigan, my grandparents lived in Florida. So, you know, all scattered around the eastern half of the United States. And there was a doctor in Atlanta who helped them with their headaches tremendously. So eventually, my grandfather um, just kind of said, after watching me suffer through this for like six, seven years, he just said, Hey, I'm going to Atlanta, bring Jeffrey. So we did. So we went to a chiropractor down there um, who did a lot of work with nutrition and really looked at the body um, through an energetic perspective, but also looking to individualize exactly their recommendations or their treatment to the person in front of them. And that to me was a really groundbreaking um, paradigm shift of like, oh, you can actually look at the body as an individual and have a way to specifically test the nutrient needs of that person. So that's what that's what we did. And, you know, 
I would go down there maybe every three or four months. And for the first, for the beginning, it's like the headache, like the first three months, the headaches like just stopped getting worse, which was like a huge win. I still had the headaches. They were still pretty bad, but just like they weren't actually getting worse, which was like life changing <laughs> to me because it gave me just that a bit, bit of hope to go back to continue. And basically was from that point on began rebuilding my body system by system, organ by organ. Um, to basically recover, recover my health. So, so we should say, I, I, I realized reading your book that I had a misconception about uh, chiropractor, practicing or practical. Yeah. So I, um, you know, I, I saw the chiropractor somewhere that you might go if you've got, uh, you know, aches and pains and sore back, etc. Do you want to just explain to us what a chiropractor practice is or chiropractice is? Yeah, for sure. It's funny you say that because I had that same misconception as I was growing up as well. That's how I saw them as somebody yeah. you go see for, for, for neck pain maybe or back pain. Yeah. Um, so what I've gotten into is very much a subspecialty of the chiropractic, focusing a lot on holistic holistic nutrition and rebuilding the body with nutrition. And um, What I found um, once I started going to school and chiropractic school was just fascinating me that chiropractic, there's people who focus on the neurological system and the brain and how you can use different sensory inputs to balance the brain output. And then you can focus on nutrition within that. And you can focus on athletics or injury healing or optimal performance. And you can focus on traditional, you know, back pain or, you know, you know, helping someone heal after a whiplash or a car accident. So it, it amazed me the incredible diversity through that. And I think what, what unites, you know, those different specialties through that, I think are two things. One is the idea that the body has the ability to heal itself. And, you know, kind of one of the principles of chiropractic is the body needs no help, just no interference. So yeah. how do you clear the interference from the body? And the second one is most chiropractors adjust the spine and they adjust the spine because it's the home of the nervous system, right? The brain connects to the spinal cord, which runs down through the spine. And that's kind of the unifying po point through, um, through all those subspecialties of chiropractic. Yeah, one one of the we've got four minutes till three four minutes till commercial break. But um, mm -hmm. one one of the things I really took out of the book as well is this kind of titanic problems within healthcare, and and you talk quite a bit about how healthcare is specialized. And you, and you've also explained to me that chiropractor is quite special; it can be specialized as well. Just, just want to share, share your thoughts on that because I mean it was it's quite eye opening as well. Traditional healthcare and the uh, potential. Uh, potential risks that are associated with just treating symptoms with medication, people deeply specializing and also um, so with, with, with medication, but also surgery because they can have further yeah. implications. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, I think the, I start the book out with the analogy of the medical system and I say it's like the Titanic as it's out sat in Southampton, you know, a little over a hundred years ago. And I think it's absolutely the biggest. I think it's absolutely the best. And I think they have some of the most incredible technology and some of really incredible people within that traditional medical system. The only problem is it's sinking. And how do we know it's sinking? There's a guy named Gary Null. He did a study called Death by Medicine, and he looked at, um, you know, heart disease or cancer kills about 600,000 people a year in the United States and heart disease about 700,000 people a year. But what he found is the medical system kills about a million people a year through side effects, through surgical interventions, through uh, what's called nosocomial or hospital infections. So we have a system with some of the best technology, some of the best people, some of the, you know, 
smartest universities in the world, but we're not creating health, right? So the question is why? And the example I give is it's like the Titanic because, um, you know, the Titanic was branded unsinkable, right? So every decision they made was around that idea that, um, you know, that it's not sinkable because the Titanic's not sinkable. Why would you need a lifeboat as yeah. an example, right? You just have this whole, it's a viewpoint shift. So I think a lot with medicine, it's, and, and what I'd like to communicate is, is healthcare is a lot of things, but it doesn't have a lot to do with health. And unfortunately, it often doesn't have a lot to do with care. It yeah. can be very effective. It can be very useful for treating disease in short term. But the, the healthcare system is like, uh, traditional healthcare system is like firefighters. If you got a fire, you call them, right? But if you want to rebuild the house, you need a carpenter. Yeah. Right? So that's kind of the difference yeah. between the disease care system or traditional medicine and kind of healthcare. One's putting out the fire, the other one's rebuilding the house. Yeah. yeah. And one of those things, and we'll probably get into this more after the break, is you have to be able to see the whole, where if you look at just one symptom, right? Some people, you have a symptom of the stomach or symptom of the heart, and you can totally focus just on that. But the question is, the heart doesn't exist in isolation. Neither does the stomach, neither, neither does the brain. So one of those principles of health is the ability to see the whole and the interconnections between them. I mean, what what I'm loving about reading your book and talking to you today is again, it, it's the way that it's um you know it's challenging my own misconceptions, uh, and you know you talk about holistic healthcare and it's easy to think well holistic healthcare sounds a bit woo woo, um, yeah. but but actually what you're saying it makes it makes an enormous amount of sense because you you go and see somebody with a with a, a particular problem, I was seeing someone, you know, around um, issue with my um, sort of stomach, and uh, you know, and, and he's, he's, he was a particular specialist in, um, I think, uh, I think it was probably gastroenterology, and uh, and um, but actually, there's the, the impacts it has on other parts of the system, and um, uh, and and you're right, it'd be good to have the whole when you, when the, when people are looking, it'd be good to have the whole team in there, wouldn't it? You know, looking actually, if we do this, what's going to happen here and what's going to happen there? And and actually, what you're talking about is we've got to look at things in a, from a holistic perspective, a whole perspective. Makes yeah, sense. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the the big the big pushes in kind of you know higher end healthcare now is having a quarterback for your medical system. You need someone to coordinate all those doctors. Sometimes it's called a patient advocate. But who's seeing the whole when you're talking to a neurologist or a cardiologist or a gastroenterologist and looking about, you know, terms called polypharmacy, which basically means you're on more than one drug. But how do those drugs interact and how could one symptom be effective one drug and affect another system? Yeah. So we all need someone to look at that holistically for us if we're in that system to understand how the different pieces connect. And also how can it be done in, in an affordable way that the majority of people can... Oh. Oh, for sure. And that is the number one cause of bankruptcy in the United States is medical bills. Oh, really? Yeah. Number one cause of bankruptcy is medical bills. So, yeah, it's absolutely. Um, and I've, I've seen it's, it's something crazy. Like, I think it's up to up to 80 or 90 percent of all healthcare dollars are spent in the last six months of life. So we've got our whole life abusing the body. And you just look at the cost of like an open heart surgery or some of the cancer treatments versus the cost incrementally at, of walking 20 minutes a day or getting some good quality food or fish oil or, you know, staying off of sugar, some really simple lifestyle things that would have huge leverage points at the beginning of life. But instead, if we don't do that, we end up spending tremendous amounts of money at the end of life. Right. Wow. We're going to get to commercial break now uh, and uh, all let that, um, mull, mull that over because um, there's some pretty, 
pretty powerful thoughts there yeah we need to really really think about how we live our lives and how we fuel our bodies to um enable us to not find ourselves in that situation at the end of end of life where yeah. we're needing to uh we risk bankruptcy and the like. So we'll be back again with you again in just a couple of minutes. Do join us after the break. We're going to talk about the five kind of key principles that you need to be aware of, really, when it comes to uh, managing your own health. So we'll be back again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi this is chris cooper i'm with uh, dr jeff Crippen, and we're talking about timeless youth and and within jeff's book he talks about five principles and the first one is the yellowstone principle uh, which takes my mind back to a, a visit that I had many years ago to Yellowstone. It was absolutely beautiful. And I did actually see a wolf. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and that's awesome. Yeah. And that fits right into the, the principle because in that, at the beginning of that chapter, I tell the story of um, what's been a consistent problem at Yellowstone um, for about for 80 years going up in the early 90s, which was overgrazing by the elk. And what happened is the elk were overgrazing, and then they were actually destroying some of the, the trees, the aspens and the cottonwood trees. And then that was messing up the habitats for the birds. So the songbirds didn't have a place to be there. And then with less trees, there was less wood for the beavers. So there's less dams in the river. And then you had an erosion of the streams. And then less habitats for some of the, the sea life or some of the animals that live there by the river, including the muskrats. So you had basically a cascade of, of things happening. So the, um, the United States Forest Service and, and the Park Service was forced to confront, you know, what do we do about this problem? 
right? And what they started to do was started shooting wolf or started shooting, excuse me, not wolves. They started shooting elk and they thought to solve the problem, you could just shoot the elk. But what they found is that, that actually didn't solve the problem. So they still had the problem of decreased songbirds. They still had the problem of decreased, you know, aspen and cottonwood trees and the continued erosion of the rivers. So they had a thought and what they did was they introduced wolves. So Yellowstone National Park is about 2.2 million acres. It's huge. It goes across three states and kind of the Northwestern United States. Um, and so what they did is into this 2.2 million acre park, they introduced 14 wolves in 1995 and 17 the following year in 1996. And what they did was just that simple thing of introducing those those 31 wolves of which you saw one of their them or their descendants. Oh, amazing. It was about, uh, I reckon it was about 1996 when I went. Wow. So this was, so you were there yeah. right, um, right as they were yeah. making this change, which is fantastic because what happened is actually the wolves were there 80 years before, but they got taken out. Um, they got, were all killed in the early, uh, early 1900s. So they reintroduced the wolves. And what they found is they didn't have to shoot the elk because wolves were a natural predator of elk. So they naturally hunted them. But even more than that, the elk changed their behavior because they would spend more time in the forest or in the wooded areas as protection. That led to the regeneration of the trees, the return of the songbirds. The beavers had more material to make their dams. And then that led to less erosion of the rivers and a better ecosystem there. So the point is one small change, seemingly small change, the introduction, introduction of 31 wolves in a 2.2 million acre um, national park completely transformed the um the ecosystem so the question is you know how how can we see our body as that ecosystem so when we see a symptom like an erosion of the river or like a headache you know what's the cause of that headache who's looking at that because if i have a headache and you have a headache they're probably different and if a you know a girl around her cycle has a headache that's probably different if a college student on an early sunday morning has a headache that's probably a different cause as well and if an athlete has one after a big hit that's probably a different different reason so all are the same symptom, all are headaches, but they could have very, very different causes. So that's the Yellowstone principle, being able to see the whole and, and, and looking at that. And we kind of got into that a little bit, but being able to see the whole and how that affects a single part. Excellent. So, so if that's the Yellowstone principle and being able to see the, be able to see the whole, um, what's the Model A principle? Yeah, so that's the, that's the next chapter there. So this tells the story of, actually, it starts with the Model T. So that was Ford's car in the early 1900s that actually sold, uh, you know, 20 million, upwards of 20 million. So it was, there was a, they needed 700,000 acres of forest just to fill this thing. So they had rubber coming from all over the world down in Brazil. And anyway, it was just this huge behemoth of a factory. But what happened is Henry Ford was famous for saying, if I asked people what kind of car that, what kind of how they wanted to travel they would have told me a faster horse so he said basically i know what they need and i'm going to put it there and he was right until he wasn't so a competitor at the time was general motors and they had a policy that said a car for every purse and purpose so what they did is they listened to the customer listened to the dealers and de designed different automobiles depending on the needs they introduced that and within a couple years the model t was gone the individualization what they found is people the customers of Ford were not all Model Ts. They weren't all one size fits all. And the Model T was famous. You could have one in any color you wanted, at least initially, as long as it was black and looked like just like mm. all the other. Yeah. Right? But what they found is there's incredible variation in people's wants and needs. So often in medicine, we're looking at people in a one size fits all approach. 
right? The standard, and an example is it's just something really simple. How about a standard drug dose for a medication? Well, it could be very different. You versus me, Chris, versus somebody with a faster metabolism, which is somebody with a little bit of liver damage versus somebody two times our size, right? The dose would need to change on that. And there, and, and that's, it's the same thing with drugs, the same thing with nutrition. There's a guy named Roger Williams. He was famous. He, he was involved in the discovery of three different B vitamins. So this guy's like a big deal in nutrition. And what he said is individual nutrient requirements can vary a hundred X person to person. So the amount of vitamin C or zinc or calcium you need compared to what I need compared to, you know, children and families can vary up to a hundred X. So how do you figure that out? Right. And we've seen an example of this with, with COVID. One of the common symptoms with COVID is loss of taste and smell. That is in almost all cases a zinc deficiency. And what happens is zinc is involved in basically inhibiting viral replication. So if you've got a virus, you need, you need, your zinc needs goes up 50 to 100 times. And people who have hair falling out after COVID or loss of taste or loss of smell, that can very much be connected to a, a, the body smartly prioritizing, hey, do I need to smell or do I need to fight off a bug? Like, do I need to grow hair or do I need to do that? And the body's pretty smart and says, hey, let's fight off the bug and let's worry about the hair later, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's an example of that biochemical individuality. Depending on who we are, the stresses we're under, the activity we're doing, um, we have individualized nutrient requirements. And that's one example of the Model A principle. So, so could it be somebody who who doesn't get an issue with a smell with COVID um, could be but, um, have a significant amount of zinc rather than yeah exactly so, yeah. yeah yeah exactly but, yeah the storehouses are strong enough absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. makes an enormous amount of sense. I used to have a I've got I've got a very good friend who can um, drink an enormous quantity of alcohol, and I probably look at a look at a glass and get a headache. <laughs> it's yeah. just, uh, it just unbelievable. And he would be absolutely bouncing around the following day. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's another perfect example. I tell the story of the Scotch whiskey man, the guy who drank like yeah. a few glasses of scotch every day and lived healthy into his 90s. And, you know, the research had, had no explanation for how he could do that. So he's very much like your friend. And many of us may know someone like that who just, they can do the things that aren't healthy, but they're alive at 80, 90, <laughs> 100 yeah. years old, just saying, hey, we're, we're doing all right. Yes, but it's bizarre. You mentioned smoking in your book as well. That's another example. Some people smoke all their lives and seem to get away with it, don't they? Whether others absolutely don't. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so what's that? so that's that's great. So there's the, there's the big big picture, being aware of the whole, and then um, being mindful that actually we're all individuals and we're all all different. Um, and I imagine you know, oft, often healthcare. Uh, treats the generic symptoms with with drugs um, in similar quantities. Um, so the third principle is the quantum principle. So we're getting into quantum physics here, I suspect. Yeah, and just just lightly, we'll, we'll add one more thing on the Model A principle before yeah. we go there. And that's just, you know, the medical system, you know, one of the things that Henry Ford did well was create an assembly line, right? Enabling the yeah. system quicker. And that's often... And the way you can create an assembly line is if everything's the same. Yeah. It's individualization that slows down the assembly line. And I think that's often happening in medicine today, which is the reason the way you could, in order to have a six minute visit with a patient, which is the average time somebody sees a doctor, you have to make a lot of assumptions about who they are and what's going on in their life. And you have to assume they're very much model T type people um, in order to have that assembly line run as fast as it does. Yes. 
So yeah. that's um, that's another that's another aspect of that principle. So the quantum principle, yeah. So this one is basically it does it gets at the idea of quantum physics, but just you know, and that's a term that people can hear and just start like you know, either loving the topic or just like going slightly unconscious depending on like their level of interest in what goes on. But you know, just real simply, what Einstein had this very famous equation that said E equals mc squared, and what it says is energy equals mass times, you know, C, which is a constant. But basically, we just look at this, it's E equals M, energy equals mass, and mass equals energy. Yeah. And what he said is, ultimately, the chair someone's sitting in, the computer I'm talking to you on, the floor I'm on, is ultimately not made of anything tangible or real. It's all made of energy. You know, if an atom, if this nucleus, the center of an atom was the size of a basketball, the closest electron would be like six kilometers away. So that's how there's just incredible space. And we, and even the idea of something, you know, in basic in quantum physics, the, the particles just pop in and out. So basically what we have is not something that's tangible with the building block of the universe. The building block of the universe, what quantum physics tells us, is energy. So because of that, if everything in the universe is made of energy, then ultimately our bodies made of energy as well. Yeah. There was a, uh, a researcher from Oxford, he said, the body is between up to a thousand times more sensitive to energetic stimuli than it is to physical stimuli like hormones. And and we know this in some sense. Sometimes, I mean, how many in your audience, I'd ask them, could walk into a room and you just start getting good vibes from someone yeah. or bad vibes from someone? How many are you around certain people and your mood level comes up, your energy comes up, you're happy? And sometimes you're around other people and you just feel like tired or exhausted or wanting to run away. Mm. We've all kind of had this experience of responding to energetic stimuli. But in order to, in order to, that's the reason it's the third principle of health is we need to understand how the non-physical can affect the physical. Yeah. It's, in, it's interesting. I, you know, my, my work is, is, you know, in, in a business setting and, and when I work with companies and leaders and teams and cultures, I can distill it down to, you know, what I really work with is, is I work with energy and, and the flow mm. of energy. Yeah. That's what I really do. Uh, mm. And uh, there's only some of my clients I can tell that. But, yeah. when I, but also when I, I, I make them aware of that, uh, that energy and, you know, the, the aura they're giving, they're giving off and, and how people's emotional connection to values and things like that um, and uh, how, how to bring that level of energy to a higher level and how it brings people and connects them. And, and sometimes I sit down you know, I've never thought about that before. Yeah. You know, but it's so, so significant. You, you know, I, I feel it as I walk through a room. I feel people's energy. Oh, that's beautiful. And I, and I bet you can see the results in the business as that energy level changes in yeah. terms of that. I know, um, yeah, that's, I know. In my very own, rewarding. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just saying it's very rewarding. It's wonderful oh. to see that. You go in somewhere and it's dark and it's dingy and people look a bit, a bit down and low and they're not talking. You know, maybe a year or two, you've been working with them, and you come out of it, and the place is bright. It's been transformed. the The office has been re redesigned. The smiles on people's faces. They're all working. To, they're working together. They're excited by the purpose, by the vision. They're in a, there's a, you know, in a movement. And 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 sometimes you walk in there, and you you, you feel a little bit like a rock star. You know, because <laughs> it's uh, it that it's it, it you know it's, it's changed. Yeah, and that's really I rewarding. Yeah, uh, that's, that's fantastic. I think, you know, that's, a, that's an example. That's a great example of that principle. Basically, you know, you know, everything's energy. Einstein said, uh, he said that the field is the sole governing agent of the particle. 
right? So what he meant by that, or what I understand in meeting, is the energetic field controls the behavior of the particle. So what you're describing, is what I hear you listening through that lens, is the energy, the energy of the business is this, is this, the governing agent of the particle or the results of that business. And I think yeah. it's the same thing in health, right? The energy of the body, the energy around the body creates the body, right? Our mood level. And you can look at the studies that have shown pessimist um, and optimist. They looked at the difference in life and they've shown that optimists live between seven and 15 years longer than pessimists. Now, just to give you an example yeah. of that, regulating your blood pressure extends your life by like one to three years. Wearing a seatbelt is a couple years. Um, you know, managing your weight is a couple years. So you talk about how many doctors are talking to you about, you know, cholesterol levels or weight or exercise or wearing a seatbelt. And those kind of things can extend your life one to two, maybe three years, but your mood level can change seven to 15 years in overall energy levels. So your your change in your mood level will change that in your quantity of life seven to fifteen years. So it's really incredible to look at the power of kind of energy on health. Is it? That's, yeah, it's incredible. Um, and I suppose that yeah, people have to really you know go away and think. Actually, you know, is your is your glass half empty or is it half full? Uh, and what what can you do to ensure that each day your energy is is high and it's positive? Because actually it's um it's okay working yourself to the bone and stressing and fretting right now but you could find yourself with you know seven to 15 years knocked off at the end of your life and you might be the moment saving hard for your pension and and retirement some people don't do they 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 disappear within um a few months of retirement so uh it right now is really important in what we're doing yeah and and what you're we're, we're connecting up into is a little bit of that um that last principle on the model A and the individualized nutrient requirements, because I like to think of just a simple analogy is I like to think of stress as waves in the ocean, right? More stress is bigger waves. And then the body is like a boat in the ocean. Now we can eat well, we can exercise, we can treat ourselves well, and then we can have a stronger boat so we can survive the stress better, right? So the size of the waves determines how much repair we need to have on the boat. So mm -hmm. the stress can affect our nutrient requirements. And obviously we all know stress, you know, you gave the example of running 100 miles an hour. Yeah, you're going to be exhausted at the end of that. You're going to deplete your energy, and, and consequently, you'll need to treat your body better. So managing the energy can change the nutrient requirements, and you know what you do nutrient requirements can actually make you more resilient uh, to the stresses of life. Really interesting. We had a guest on the show, and I'm so, uh, I'm so frustrated. I can't remember his name. Um, however, he rode 7,000 kilometers uh, from uh, Japan to um, the American West Coast. He's the first person to um, to row the South Atlantic. Yeah. Uh, uh, South Pacific, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, incredible. And he, uh, and I'm so frustrated I can't remember his, his name because he, he came round and stayed with us. And we, I remember sitting, having having some food with him. And and I said to him, I said, what, what um, what's the, you know, what's the, the highest waves that you've been, you, you've come across? And he saw they were, they were, um, 60 feet um uh he said yeah it was they were incredible in fact, i can't remember say feet or meters but it was it was enormous uh it's absolutely enormous and i said to him so it was like an hour or two and he said no it was for three days <laughs> oh but, but, but i suppose you know you think about the stress that three days in a boat uh, would have on you you know um i think on that trip he was with someone else 
but the two of you on that boat for three days with 60 feet waves. But some people uh, will, will have a, a mood and get angry and get frustrated and get stressed about things and create that turmoil themselves and it go and can go on for days. So what, what must that be doing to your, your body and to your well-being? Yeah, and, and, some, and some people won't even get in the water, right? And I think that's kind of the difference. Some people won't even get in the water, and other people can get in there and handle 60-foot waves, yeah. right? And yeah, so if you look at what's happening with the body, basically you're looking at the stress response. Right, and we kind of track a little bit in the book cortisol, the main stress hormone, and the effect it has on different organ systems. But basically, you know, the specific manifestation will vary person to person. But what you have is you're just burning through your reserves, and the extent you burn through them is dependent on the extent you feel stressed by what's going on. You and I might get stressed just thinking about a sixty foot wave or seeing a picture of it. Yeah. But somebody who's been out there and lived it and would have the audacity to say, hey, let's row the South Pacific, they see that stress probably differently. Just like you in a business context would be a lot less stressed walking into a business, going through some troubles with the certainty you have compared to somebody else starting out on that journey for the first time. Absolutely. We're going to get a commercial break now. After the break, we'll look at the Olympic strength principle. Uh, and, and then finally the golden principle and uh, wrap up. So do, do, and, and, and so can we summarize that into into actually how how do we transform our health now knowing that so i'll be back again with you after the break and um, i think we'll get into the really important stuff uh very shortly in in terms of what you can take out and practically do to um have well experience timeless youth i'm, I'm looking for that myself I'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes <laughs> From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. 
Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper with Dr. Jeff Crippen, and we're talking about time, his book, Timeless Youth. Uh, Jeff, let's talk about the fourth principle, the, the, the uh, Olympic strength principle. What's that about? Yeah, so this this actually gets its name um, from there's actually two sister ships to the Titanic, and one of them was named the Olympic, and the Olympic actually um, was there's some severe damage to the Olympic when it ran into a a, a ship from Her Majesty's Navy, um, the HMS Hawk, and what happened is through that. Uh, and through that injury and through what they learned through the Titanic, the third ship actually got stronger. So what they actually learned is through the stress, they, after the Titanic disaster, um, they started adding, um, they added back lifeboats to the sister ships. They actually reinforced it with what's called a double hull. So you actually have more protection from running icebergs. They actually, so the, what they did is they used the stress of one area not to go weaker, but to go stronger. So this actually reminds me of some of the guests you've had on this episode, where how do you use stress to make yourself stronger? Yes. Was, and I think there was a, uh, a study out of Stanford University in California with a, a lady named Kelly McDonald. And um, what we've often heard is stress is bad for us, right? And that was kind of the example mm-hmm. we were giving before. Yeah. But the point is stress can make us stronger. So what she looked at 30,000 people and their stress levels and found the more stress someone was under, the quicker they died, right? Pretty self-explanatory that, you know, stress leads to um, increase in mortality or death. But what she found, there's a small subset of people that saw stress not as a bad thing, but as a good thing. They, yeah. they enjoyed what they were doing. In my words, they found their purpose. And they were willing to confront the stresses doing that. And what she found is those people who were under the most stress but had a purpose and a passion behind what they were doing, actually lived longer than anyone. Yeah. So that, that idea that stress can be a good thing if we can tap into that. And stress, like it showed with the Olympic, can actually make us stronger. So how can we learn from our stresses to get stronger, to become more resilient, and become healthier through that process? So that's, um, that's kind of like if you, if you find your icky guy, you know, do do you doing so? You're doing something that you, you that you love doing. You're doing something that you're good at, that that you can get paid for, and the world needs. You can you kind of you find your icky guy, which uh, is a place where I guess everything works. So even though you might be there might be stress, it's it's good stress because you're moving forward to something that you want. Yeah, I think we've probably all had this where we love what we're doing. We have a moment of that. You know, it's easy to stay up late it's easy to have energy you know we just we feel real gusto and joy to what we're doing and we're confronting problems but you know we all have to solve problems in our life um that's part of life right so it's the quality of the problems we're solving and the size of the problems we're solving but if you can find problems to solve that you're really passionate about that excite you they get you up in the morning then the stress you're going to confront in doing that can actually make you healthier rather than sicker i guess that's a bit like 
you know, you know my, my eldest son he's big into his weight training at the moment and he's uh, uh and uh, you know if i go to the gym as well you're breaking your muscle fibers which sounds like a bad thing but they go back stronger exactly that's a perfect analogy yeah you see that with muscle you just actually see that with bone as well it's called wolf's law basically bones strengthen in response to stress they're under that's why a lot of people for osteoporosis they'll talk about calcium um and it's true, you do need calcium, but you got to make sure you can digest it. You also need magnesium. You also need protein. But one of the most important things that's often overlooked for osteoporosis is you actually got to stress your bones. You got to get out there and walk and weight-bearing exercises is a great example of that because your body has a simple use-it-lose-it kind of thing. So just like the stress will make you stronger with your muscles, working out. But we see this with our immune system, right? That's the whole idea of natural immunity is our immune system is exposed to a virus to a pathogen, to something, and then we actually can get stronger by healing from that disease or recovering from it or fighting it off. So we see this principle of the Olympic strength in all kinds of different areas connected to health in the body. As a lovely lovely example, I picked up somewhere and something that I read that it was imagining like, you know, when, you, when you're exercising, you're doing strength, strength work or, or, or walking, it's like um, you've got people who are kind of working on your ha- a house and build- building it, um, but when you're not doing it and you stop doing it, they're actually, t- they're actually taking it down. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, so that that, uh, that movement all the time, and keep keep on doing it, keeps on building, but uh, stop and it starts to deconstruct. Yeah, and so in bone cells, they're called osteoblasts that build bone and osteoclasts that kind of break down or destroy bone. But one of the things that's interesting is a lot of the osteoporosis medications, they break down osteoclasts, so they stop the bone from breaking down, which seems like a good thing, because on Mm. x-ray, you have a lot stronger bone. But actually, what those osteoclasts are doing, they're breaking down the older bone to recycle it into new bone. So what happens with a lot of osteoporosis medications, you have bones that look better on x-ray, but they're less functional because they're not responding to those stresses. So that's, again, that stress can actually make it stronger because you want the body to have that dynamic balance to be able to say, hey, we want to build strong bones, but we want to build them strong specific to the needs of what's going on right now. And that's why, you know, when you look at creating stronger bones, you know, the drugs do something, right? They have an effect for sure. But even one of the major side effects is actually when the bones break with with osteoporosis drugs, they break in a very bad, bad way. Uh-huh. So you see more severe breaks when they do happen. So um, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just mindful. We've got five, about five minutes left. Yeah. And we, we haven't talked about, I want to talk about golden principle. Uh, yeah. I want to help, help us just see some practical elements of um, what we can go away and do today. And uh, there's a couple more things I'd like to ask you. So maybe we should move, move on. Great. So just quickly, that, that principle of the golden you is the number one truth in your health is you. Right. That is that idea. And you have the ability to make all healing begins with you. And the best doctor you have is actually yourself. So just briefly, the, the what that chapter goes into is how you can unlock your body's own ability to heal. Mm. And any tips on how to do that? Yeah, it, it 100 <clears throat> percent starts with your ability to be here and present, <laughs> you know, as simple as that. As simple as that sounds, because from our from that level of presence comes our perception, yeah. and come and from our ability to perceive determines whether we see that those waves in life as positive stressors or negative stressors. Yeah, right. So that's um, 
So that is one, that's one manifestation of that. That's why health starts with, you know, the energetic or the you. So practical applications of that would be starting the day off with gratitude. How can we knowingly change our mental mood level going into that? Yeah. And another one would be, well, I think one of the most important things anyone can do with health in terms of real takeaways, you know, is actually shift our paradigm towards disease. If we see disease as a symptom of the whole, if we look through it through these principles, if you see this disease or a, a symptom as a manifestation of a diseased whole, you can actually look to say, what would I actually need to do to create health? So um, what's going to actually make me stronger rather than what's going to cover up or clip off this bit of disease and, and is there some people might be listening to this or just got a really about a, a minute or two but uh, and think um, well i'm i'm you know i'm 50 60 70 even years of age is, is it is it too late no i just had a patient yesterday who's in the best physical shape just lost two inches and is stronger than she's ever been in her life in her mid-60s so i would say absolutely not never too late you can everyone's getting older but you can absolutely get healthier as you age absolutely and who's the ideal person that you help you know a lot of a lot of people we help are basically one of two people they've either been through the medical system and they've been frustrated and the results like the drug and surgery approach hasn't helped them hit what they want or the second people a second group of people are those who say you know what i don't even want to go through that system i want to actually create health myself mm. so those are the two sets of people that t typically seek me out are people who have been through the system and they're frustrated like heck or just say you know what i don't even want to go through that system i want to create health how do i do it fantastic and do you have a final message you'd like to leave us with well i just think all healing begins with you and um that is the message of the book and i think the most important thing you can do is really understand what health is because you can't get to a destination without knowing where you're going so if you want to get healthier you've got to understand the five principles of health and that's what the goal is with this book, Timeless Youth, um, by myself, Dr. Jeff Crippen. And you can find that on Amazon, any kind of bookstores. Um, you can Anywhere you find books are sold, you can get it through there. Fantastic. And if people want to, uh, if, if people are in, in San Joe or that kind of area, um, well, have you got a website for your practice? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You can the book website is timelessyouthbook.com. Um, the website for the office is crippenwellness.com you can find us there on instagram at jeff crippen uh, c-r-i-p-p-e-n you could find me there and uh yeah happy to connect and uh and support uh support your listeners jeff uh, taken taken so much from this interview i think uh, you're doing some wonderful work here uh, it's a really important book uh, and um i think the principles in here are very very helpful for people uh the your understanding that you can heal yourself or understanding these principles um getting into gratitude that point there about positivity seven to 15 years is just uh is is incredible um and you know if you're really struggling with your health there's clearly other avenues that you can explore which are maybe more more holistic and that's probably a, a you know a helpful takeaway for me for this that actually there are other things that you can look at. So uh, once again, thank you uh, to Dr. Jeff Crippen. Uh, and also on next week's show, we have Paul Graham. And Paul's the managing director of Britvic. It's a, a, a large soft drinks company um, based up in, um, in, in where well, he's based in the United Kingdom. I'm going to talk about neurodiversity in the workplace because he, he really, um, neurodiversity is something that's very close to, to him, for him. It is in my family too. 
and um, and, and he, you know, he has some real kind of uh, novel thinking about how to um, identify that and, and create a safe space for people to share and talk about it who might might uh, otherwise keep it quiet and really celebrate the benefits of it. Um, so I think neurodiversity is something in my work that I see become much, much more aware of the last five years. And I think it's uh, important that we, we, but we, we help and support people in that to be open. And we also uh, look to, to see how we can help them to shine and how they, they, you know, people with, with diversity can help our organizations bring extra value to it. So um, let's um, talk about that next week. Uh, if you've got any questions, comments, do send them to me, chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Love to hear from you. Join us on LinkedIn, Facebook, etc. Um, and uh, look after yourself. Take care. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.